Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. My name is Mike Driscoll and today I'm welcoming Will McGugan to the show. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. So Will is uh, the author of multiple amazing Python packages. Um, I believe Rich and Textual are probably the ones you're most well known for. Are there any others we should know about? Um, there's actually quite a few if you're to look in my um, GitHub repositories. I've got quite a number. Most of them are, um, you know, just get a few few users. Mm -hmm. um, Rich was also at Enormous and Textual is quite big. Um, there's another one called PyFast System. Okay. Uh, which I started, I think it's like uh, well over 10 years ago now. Um, that was like a, a wrapper to file system. So you could treat like um, an FTP server the same as a, as a zip file or an, S, or an S3 bucket. And it provided this kind of mm -hmm. like uh, common interface onto, onto file systems. Um, but I don't maintain that anymore. I've got some other really good maintainers on it. So nice. Yeah, you know, quite happy to have like. Uh, create something that's a life beyond me. Yeah, that's cool. I, I knew you'd done other ones. I just don't know. I'm not familiar with every single one you've created. <laughs> I've probably forgotten most of them as well. So why don't we back up a little bit and you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to programming. Um, sure. Okay. So I am, I guess I started in the late nineties and in, in video games. Um, nice. I dropped out of uni. Uh, I got a job uh, working on on video games uh, mm -hmm. back in the day. That was in C plus plus, and I kind of specialized in kind of graphics technologies. Mm -hmm. um, this was the day when uh, people didn't have graphics cards uh, in their computers, and all uh, textures and video games had to be rendered in software. Uh, so that was what I was doing, and that's how you know, that's how I started my career but um quite unfortunately um after i'd acquired these skills uh, they became obsolete so it's like uh, about two years into my first job uh graphics cards started becoming more popular and no one needed software renders anymore so it's like those skills <laughs> you know i was like you know early 20s yeah. uh, and i had already become obsolete in the dinosaur wow what kind of games were you creating back then? Um, so I worked on Braveheart, the video game. Um, you've probably seen oh. the movie. Mm -hmm. Nice. I worked on a video game with that. So you had like it was like a real time strategy. You had um, teams of Highlanders which were fighting each other. Oh, cool. Uh, playing on a uh, it was a miniature map of Scotland, which is kind of cool. So someone had got satellite mm -hmm. um, depth maps for entire Scotland. And you could play in like a, a real map, uh, and that was way back in the nineties. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. High tech mm. Mm. for the time it was. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I can't. I can't imagine doing satellite satellite based imagery in a nineties video game. It's kind mm. of you know people didn't do that back then, so I think that's cool. <laughs> it was kind of cool. It was um, lower resolution because um, obviously you can't have like, oh, yeah. very high detailed. And they cheated a little bit um, because you want to make the scenery look more dramatic in a video mm -hmm. game. Um, but if you use the real height maps, it would look too 
you know, too too low. You want to make it like a dramatic hills. So they multiplied everything by like ten. Um, so the you know the mountains were like ten times higher than they actually were. But yeah, that makes it was, sense. It was it was a cool game. I enjoyed working on it. Nice. I've always wanted to get into video games. One of these days I might, you know, try my hand at Pi Game or some other more simple, uh, what do you want to call it? Low, easy, easy to get into video game. Mm. You know, I, th- I think starting with C++ and learning video games would be a lot harder than, you know, do, starting out with Python or maybe Rust even. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, nowadays I'd probably recommend, I'd recommend Python as a way of learning the the uh, the skills of video games you probably can't mm-hmm. write a triple A title in, in Python well, yeah. these days, but you could acquire the skills. You could like you know experiment with them um, mm-hmm. with uh, animation and graphics and, and textures and things. So I think um, learning video games through Python is probably a good idea. Yeah, I would think so. So, changing topics just a little bit. Uh, what are your favorite Python packages and modules right now? Um, can, can I say my own? <laughs> sure, that's fine with me. Let's talk about it. Um, there are lots of there are lots of packages which um, yeah, I just you just use and, and then you know effortlessly use and they don't stand out, but they're they're terrific. Like um, well, things like HTTPX, which just makes HTTP requests, which is such a common thing to do. Um, that's probably one of my favorite packages because it just works. Um, it works with uh, async, and it, it's fast and does the job perfectly. Um, I like async things a lot because I tend to work quite a lot with uh, asynchronous programming. Um, a library I like a lot is AIO HTTP, mm-hmm. um, which is a terrible mouthful to, yes. to name. I wish to come up with it. <laughs> I don't like the name uh, of that one. I have to admit. <laughs> no, every time I say it out loud, I have to. I have to concentrate on getting all the right, the right vowels. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I really like this package. Um, it creates web servers. It's very fast, very efficient. Um, has WebSocket support, just uh, server side and client side. And yeah, I really like it. And I like working with the kind of async technologies. That's one of my favorites, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Have you tried some of the other async packages like Trio or Curio or any of those? Um, I haven't. Um, I, I probably should at some point. I mean, I can see there's some really good ideas coming out of there, which are being kind of like uh, put back into, you know, just async. I mm-hmm. know, like um, like task groups and things. Um, yeah. Because because some of the things I'm working on, I'm aiming for my maximum compatibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I targeted the AIO sort of async IO in, in the standard library, um, so I haven't been playing around with with Curio and Trio and things. But yeah, I would I would love to. I'm actually actually one of the future plans we have uh, for Textual is to use the any IO package, which is kind of like an abstraction layer, so you could in theory mix. Uh, async IO with with Curio and other async packages. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, I guess that brings us 
to your actual packages since you've somehow managed to avoid talking about them. Let's talk about Textural and how it came about. Okay. Um, it's a, that's a long story. <laughs> Just not that long, really. Um, so I, I guess it will start off with Rich, uh, okay. which is a lot of people are very familiar with Rich. It basically renders um, nice content mm-hmm. in the terminal. And that became super popular um, almost as soon as I released it. I just started gathering GitHub stars. People started clamoring for more and more to do more and more things in the terminal. And it acquired a lot of features in quite a short period of time. And a few features I had um, created dynamic things. It's generally for kind of static content. So you could write something uh, into the terminal and you could scroll up and down yourself. Um, but I had some dynamic features like progress bars. The progress bars would be like fixed to the mm-hmm. bottom of the screen and it would update as acquired. Um, but people started asking for uh, even more kind of dynamic features, mm-hmm. um, you know, from simple things like menus to like full screen applications. And and I resisted it because, mm-hmm. you know, at the time this was like, um, this was a hobby project and I didn't want to take on um, yeah. another large project. So I resisted it for a while. Um, but then I saw people were building things with Rich uh, using other mm-hmm. libraries, but using Rich to display uh, text and various other things and creating full screen applications that ran mm-hmm. in the terminal. And I was like, wow, this is too good of an opportunity. I, I could see the promise. I could see, well, what if you mm-hmm. could build nice user interfaces in the terminal? You didn't have to go to a browser or, or yeah. c- compile like a native application they could run in the terminal and you could developers are quite happy using things mm-hmm. in the terminal and they run over ssh yeah um so i started building textual which used rich uh used rich to render things but the textual provided the dynamic things like um uh, keyboard input mouse import and mm-hmm. layout that kind of thing and uh, it came together really well. You know, even in the early days, people were building things with it. Um, it lacked nice. a lot of features then, but um, that's pretty much how it came about. Cool. So you saw a need and you filled it. That's that's the way to go. Mm. It's quite an odd. It's quite an odd thing. People have been actually building these type of applications for uh, decades. It actually, predates the desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been doing it with very old technology. Um, Curses yeah. is one most people are familiar with, mm-hmm. um, and that that goes way back to the nineties. About the, about the same time yeah. I was writing software renderers, people were uh, creating these applications uh, in Curses, and the technology hasn't moved on very much. So people that in the past building these apps, um, they faced a lot of technical difficulties. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of, you know, quite archaic stuff, um, a lot of boilerplate code, um, yeah. but they still kept building them because um, people really wanted them and they were kind of highly motivated. Yeah, and I've seen, I used to work for a county government and they used a lot of text-based user interfaces for like mm. DOT type work or, you know, what what have you. And, you know, they, they didn't have the nice widgets and whatnot that Textual has, but they had some stuff online where they could like 
it was kind of a combo box in a way mm-hmm. with I'm sure it was using curses of some sort underneath but it's kind of cool what they could do in the terminal and it was so much faster than you know some some gooey elements that I've seen in in uh, embedded apps or you know in uh, even mm-hmm. online they just take a while to render and it's like instantaneous in the terminal sometimes yeah because it so just takes quicker. such a a simple thing and yeah. the apps are very much um geared towards keyboard input so mm-hmm. if you're using an app like like um like that, maybe like a call center or something, something where you have to uh, work with it really quickly and get very specialized at it, then these type of apps mm-hmm. are are better than your average, uh, you know, web application. Yeah, so using the mouse and and hunting and pecking uh, for yeah. various things. Um, it, it's fine for if you just uncovered this application and you want to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to use this day to day. Uh, then I actually think that text-based applications are probably better. Yeah, I would agree. It forces you to learn the keyboard shortcuts, and you get mm. you get better at. It. I mean, that's, I think that's partially why Vim and Vi are so popular as text editors, mm. is you can add all these plugins to them, and then you can do all kinds of stuff with your keyboard. You don't even need your mouse, and you yeah. can do it really fast. I, you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm not proficient in any of these editors. I've Always used I'm not um, either. <laughs> IDEs, yeah. But I, I see people using them, and mm-hmm. their their fingers never leave the keyboard. Yeah, I've and, had some coworkers, and I'm like, "How are you doing that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the, the screen's just constantly flickering, and you're like the hands are a blur. But um, once you've, it takes quite a while actually to be very proficient in these these editors. But once you get there, uh, you can be very fast. Yeah. So I've noticed uh, recently you've announced that uh, you can create two, uh, TUI as a web app. Why do you think people should do that? Yeah, uh, so we have something called Textual Web, uh, which is a bit of software and a service. And basically you point this um, at a textual app or multiple textual apps, and then mm-hmm. immediately uh, you get back a URL, and then you can operate those textual apps uh, in a web browser. And I, I know I just got finished saying that uh, text-based apps are can be more <laughs> can be easier to use yeah. than web apps, but they, they operate just like um, the terminal, but in in a web browser. Mm-hmm. And the reason that people want to do that is simply because if you build something, um, you generally want many people to use it. Yeah, and uh, it can be tricky to dis- distribute. Uh, text-based apps. Um, it's not too bad for engineers who are familiar with package managers and installing Python, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, if you build an app, you want to be able to distribute it to non-technical users. Um, you know, every every desktop computer ever shipped uh, has a terminal, mm-hmm. um, but only only developers and experienced users uh, will even know that it exists. Yeah, you know, it can be a couple of clicks away. Um, but they know the web. Um, mm-hmm. so the idea is we give them a, a textual app that just happens to run in the browser, and they'll be instantly familiar with it because it's, it uses yeah. you know familiar, uh, intuitive UI. There'll be buttons, checkboxes, scroll bars, etc. And they might not even know that they're operating a, a text-based app. They'll, they'll, they'll yeah. think it's a, a just a web application that has slightly retro look to it because it's monospace text. But otherwise, yeah. it's you know very familiar. Hmm. 
I can see where the textural web would be especially useful on like um, the tablets that everyone's using, the Chromebooks, where you don't have quite the mm. the nice ability to get to the terminal that you do on a regular computer. That's true. Um, do Chromebooks not support terminals? I, I guess they don't. It's. I mean, you can get. I mean, it's like it's like an Android phone. Mm. You know, you can get to the terminal if you know the right key presses when you boot it. Mm. But you don't normally bring up a terminal on your Android phone. I don't know about iOS, how that works. But, you know, on Android, at least, it's like a, I think you have to like hold down the power button and the, and the the volume button down or something while you boot. Mm -hmm. And you'll boot into like kind of a safe mode terminal. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's... You can also get, um, you can download an app, which is essentially a terminal emulator. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be like a more first class thing. Um, yeah. And obviously, you have to be technical in the first place to know. Uh, how to how to bring that up? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's also some you know some apps you can install that have a or basically terminal apps for Android. But mm. I'm talking about if you want to actually get to the terminal that Android itself you could use as you'd have to you have to jump through some hoops. So mm -hmm. you know I, sure. I can see yeah, I can see you know doing a doing a a TUI web app. You'd have that same you know deploy once on many devices that. May or may not have terminals, and I could, you know, yeah. I'm starting to see a vision. Um, Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, and they can run anywhere. You can even um, you can serve um, a terminal, just a shell session with with mm -hmm. Texture Web. Um, you do Texture Web dash T, you get back a URL, and that'll just put um, a terminal inside the browser, and then that browser will run, of course, anywhere that a modern browser yeah. does run. Have you done? Have you done any testing on like tablets or or phones just to see how well the widgets translate? Um, a little bit, and there's still some work that needs to be done there. Um, I tried it on iPhone, and mm -hmm. it actually worked really nice. But I had an annoying habit of um bringing up the keyboard, which um mm. included part of the screen. Um, hmm. so I think I think we we'll do some work there to to make that uh, better. Yeah. user experience um ideally um i think what we can do is is tell the client when to bring up the, the keyboard okay um so that you know, only do that when you hit an input or something um but mm -hmm. at the moment as soon as you press anything it brings up the keyboard and it stays there and it covers uh, half the screen yep so i think the, the annoying thing is that um mobile and tablets they'll have slightly different ways of doing these things mm -hmm. so we might have to look at each one in turn um and trying to like figure out what the behavior is and uh, whether we need to work around something so yeah. that we can serve up the, the best user experience yeah that is a little bit touchy at least most of them use some kind of chromium base for the, at least the, the browser mm. part of it but yeah, I know Samsung is very different than like a Google one, Google's phones they have a different UI flavor, for example. Yeah, yeah, and those things, you know, there's different behaviors in mobile which aren't aren't standardized. Um, if you go mm -hmm. a desktop, um, the, the behaviors, most of it is very common across um, all the operating systems. Yeah, um, and generally nowadays, if it works on on you know Chrome on on Mac, it'll run. It'll work exactly the same everywhere, but it's not quite true with with um mobile and tablet yeah. yet. 
so we have to do a little bit of work, but I'm pretty sure we can get there. Yeah, yeah, it's not insurmountable. Mm. So what are like some of your favorite applications that you've seen uh, people use Textural for? Um, I think my favorite ones are probably the ones where it just surprised me. Um, just, I, I think, well, you know, it can be like very cool, but mm-hmm. I think why would someone need that? I would not have thought of that at all. Um, somebody wrote, wrote a, uh, a musical keyboard emulator. Mm-hmm. So it displayed the keys from a piano and you could click on those keys. And I think it would interface with a MIDI or something mm-hmm. and it would actually play play a piano. So you could play, you could play <laughs> the piano uh, in the terminal over an SSH session. Mm. Neat. It's cool. I don't. I don't know if, if it's practical need. I think it might be someone did this out of intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cool. Um, something in a similar vein. Um, someone built um, MS Paint that runs in a terminal. That's cool. That is cool. Uh, it was <laughs> remarkably functional. I mean, they spent a lot of time on it, and and they made mm-hmm. sure they got all the user interface niceties down um you know you could click and drag titles and everything it looked just like a like a desktop and you could paint with a cursor and i gotta look that one up yeah (laughs) it's fun to play with you can even type text onto your image and when you (laughs) zoomed the text it turned that into like uh, pixels with half block characters oh nice yeah so that's like um you know the guy that did it uh isaiah his name is um he did an amazing job and I think he did it for the love of it. I think he just, um, mm-hmm. this guy, he likes, uh, you know, intellectual challenges, building things. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did something very cool. <laughs> That's really neat. I wonder how, the, how that will de- deploy on textural web or if that one's, that one's deployable that way. I haven't tried it, but I, I would think it would work. Okay. Um, cause neat. it's not, you know, um, the uh, Texture Web uses xterm.js, uh, mm-hmm. which is a terminal emulator in, in JavaScript. Um, okay. And it's maintained by Microsoft and it has very good compatibility. Um, so if it okay. runs in a desktop, uh, sorry, a terminal on your desktop, it will mm-hmm. probably be exactly the same in the browser. Oh, neat. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he. I wasn't sure how that would translate because it sounds like he was doing some stuff that <laughs> may have been. Uh... A little back, you know, you know, when people work on stuff and they do stuff that's unexpected, they sometimes use like back undocumented features, like backdoor features or something. I don't know. I don't know how he did it, but I'm just, mm. I'm like, how does that translate if you want to export it? But sounds like, sounds like you got a good JavaScript library for that. So, yeah, I kind of think it'll work. I'd like, like to give it a try. That would be interesting to see. Yeah. I may have you send me a link for that. I can include it in the show notes so people can check it out. Mm, okay. Um, so let's continue in this kind of vein. What kind of applications are you envisioning for the textural web being used for? Yeah, um, so in theory, anything. Uh, but I think there will be some use cases uh, which are more common. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of original use case I imagined um, is when you want to have a user interface Um for on a device which is connected to some bit of hardware. Um, so my, my wife used to work uh, in, a, in a lab and she'd have like expensive lab equipment 
mm-hmm. excuse me, and to be plugged into um, well, a computer. It's not, not a very fast computer, and to, in order to use yeah. it, you'd have to go into a lab, sit down in front of it, and you'd have like a very clumsy user interface or something text-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I think there'll be lots of uses in industry. Um, so if you've got like, some industrial equipment, I know like a lathe or something, uh, and you want to have a user interface, uh, you can build that with Textual and you can install it on, on the box, which is connected to the device, and then Textual Web uh, will put that in the browser. And that is far easier than uh, anything else at the moment. If you, you know, at the moment, if you wanted that kind of uh, remote functionality, you'd have to build a web application. And mm. I was a web developer for 15 years, and I do not like building web applications. It takes a long, it takes a long mm-hmm. time, um, and it, it can take a, a lot of people. Yeah. But I think with Textual, you can build it uh, with one one developer, and you can deploy it effortlessly. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. those type of applications where the application has to run close to the metal or on the same file system. Mm-hmm. So it could be um, uh, cloud servers. Uh, maybe it's a bunch of web servers, and you want something to export logs or yeah. restart processes, check databases, that kind of thing. You can install a textual app mm-hmm. um, on all all, the, all these boxes, and then you can connect to one individual one. Um, if something is malfunctioning, you can like analyze it and restart processes or, or reboot or something like that. Oh, so it'd be a good for like system administration, DevOps type activities. Yeah, a lot of those kind of things. Um, yeah, you know, you probably won't be um, browsing the web and then yeah. come across a textual app. I'm sure they will. I'm sure someone's going to deploy a blog. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the day when I can uh, read a blog in a textual yeah. app. Um, but generally, these are going to be like um, backend applications um, mm-hmm. with a, a, a an, an audience. Um, it's not like a mass market audience. It's for developers or technical people yeah. or marketing management. Yeah, it's it's um yeah kind of like internet, but it's not. It's, it's um available um on the public internet. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess that brings up the the big question in the room: How are you going to uh, monetize Textural Web? Make some. Pay yeah, for yeah um, everyone asked that, and it's a very good question. Um, so Textual itself and Rich, they're open source mm-hmm. and always will be, you know, free, yeah. and you can distribute Textual apps in the same way as other Python packages. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the Textual web part we're going to monetize. Um, so it'll be a very generous free tier. Um, okay. If you're a ho- hobbyist, um, unless you've got like... Um, you know, a lot, lot of users. You're probably just they'll probably be free for you. Okay. Um, but if you're an organization, um, there will be like a usage based tiers. So if you got a certain mm. number of users, we'll start charge basing based on usage. Okay. And then uh, on top of that, there'll be various services. Um, the first service uh, is authentication. Um, so if you're okay. building a textual app that you want to be on the web. Um, mm-hmm. For your organization, obviously, you're going to want to restrict it to uh, your employees, your your managers, trusted people. Yeah. Um, so we'll provide uh, an API where you can connect um, your authentication system to Textual Web, or you can okay. use ours 
and it'll do two-factor authentication, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, uh, before you can use the app. So that'll be like the oh. first service that we charge for. And then there'll probably be additional uh, APIs on top of that. Yeah. So you'll probably have like, you know, a lot of web, a lot of websites have a free and then a pro and then like a corporate almost yeah. like tiers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in our interest actually to get it into as many hands as possible. Um, so you, you don't want to charge too early. You know, you want people to be able to uh, play with it, try it yeah. out. And then, you know, hopefully a portion of them will become paying customers eventually. Yeah. And that allows us to maintain open source, uh, which is not easy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people start open source projects, um, very enthusiastic. And if they get popular, they'll get lots of requests. And very soon you're, you're, uh, you're no longer just, you know, it's no longer a hobby project. Uh, mm -hmm. Suddenly you become like, uh, you know, an important thing in the ecosystem. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. and and then you run out of time to maintain it, so it's, it's a very it's a it's a it's a dilemma. Um, but what mm -hmm. we're doing means that we do have the uh, open source side that we can afford to uh, employ people to work on, and then we have yeah. the commercial side, uh, which will hopefully bring in an income eventually. And it, the two don't you know clash with each other. So I think we found yeah. like a, a good a good model. It does sound like a good model. I agree. I like it. Cool. <laughs> I hope it goes well for you. Thank you. Um, so I have one more question. It's just a little bit off topic, but I think it still applies because other people probably want to get into open source. And I think you're a good person to ask. Do you have any advice for people who want to just like get started doing their own projects? How do you, you know, how do you deal with working with other mm. contributors? That that kind of thing. Um, well, getting into open source is actually uh, remarkably easy. Um, I guess mm -hmm. there's two routes. You can um, uh, find something to work on that you build yourself. Um, and if you're doing that, yep. I just, I'd just i recommend just um, thinking of a problem which affects you. Um, mm -hmm. Don't worry about anyone else at this point. Uh, and then build a solution. Mm -hmm. Because you know no one's so unique um, that you're going to build like a one-person solution. Someone mm -hmm. is going to find your solution useful. And yeah. that's a very good way to, to get started. Um, you can also um, pick another open source project um, mm -hmm. and just see if you can contribute. Because most open source projects are looking for you know, help and, and contributions. Yeah. Uh, we are. Um, if you go into our repo, uh, look at our, our issues list uh, and contribute there, maybe you can offer a fix. Um, or maybe you can just find bugs yourself. And, and then report them, um, mm -hmm. knowing what the bugs are. So it's half, half the battle. And you can very quickly become a contributor to an open source project. It's based purely on, on the amount of work that you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. You can do a little bit, or you can do, you can do a lot, and you can really quickly get involved that way. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Was there a second part to your question? Oh, I've forgotten. I was, I was asking, how do you deal with like people who, you know, other contributors, maybe people who want to complain about your project? You're just oh, like kind of, um, that's just like kind of general stuff that you don't think yeah. about when you're first starting out. Right. So, so most people 
um, they like your project, um, mm -hmm. and that's why they're they're contributing to it, and, and they're perfectly, um, you know, polite and, and helpful. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, that's all. That's all you need to be honest. Um, if you, you want to be a contributor to another project, all you need to do is be um, civil and respectful. That's yep. it. That's fine. You, you do get some <laughs> people who have other ideas. Um, mm -hmm. they, they they might try to uh, muscle in and decide they want it their way. Yeah. And without you know without you know contributing in a in a, in a helpful way. And mm -hmm. uh, those people, you know, you just have to be be firm with them. Um, it's like uh, you know the projects that I've started. I can't do anything I want to these projects. You think because I'm the owner of the repo that I can just go in there and do whatever I want. No, um, mm -hmm. most of my day I'm thinking about uh, how, you know, how can I make a change without breaking something else yeah. or, or, you know, um, causing a, another bug down the line. Mm -hmm. So I, it's like, maybe people might think I have all this power to do whatever I want to my projects, but in actual fact, I've, I've got very little yeah. power because um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like software developers are in the kind of service industry. Um, they're kind of like doing things for other people. You know, they're, yeah. they're doing things to make other people's life easier. So you've got to think about it in those terms. It's like um, um, I'm not working for me. I'm, I'm working for everyone else who uses my software. And if you have that attitude, uh, then you'll be welcome in any open source project. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's good advice. Thanks for thanks for all those good insights. Oh, pleasure. All right, we've reached the end of my questions. So I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Will, and I hope you'll join me again someday in the future. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I'm sure it will. Great. Well, we're going to sign off now. Thanks so much for coming. Cheers. Thanks, Mike. Yep. With you every week. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.